Good morning. I'm on. If I'm too loud, you can just put me down a bit. Thanks. This morning, um, as we come before the word, um, we've been doing the series on Clash of the Kingdoms. We have seen the kingdom of the world clashing with the kingdom of God. And one of the things that we saw even last Sunday, the whole aspect of success, again, it clashes with the, with the kingdom of God and what the Western thinking or what the world thinks about success. So we're going to continue on this thing. We started earlier in this year and we took a break and we looked at the legacy of our church. So we're going to continue this morning. Um, shall we pray before we go into it? Father, we pray that this morning that you will bring us under your word. Lord, your word says, where two or three gathered in my name, I'm there in your midst. And we thank you that you are in our midst. We don't need to invite you again. You are in our midst. So we glorify you. And we pray this morning, Lord, that we'll bring our thoughts, our limitations, our shortcomings, our feelings, our emotions, all, Lord, under your word. And we pray that you would lead us and open our eyes to see what's in your word. And may we be changed, Lord God. And may we be a people like who look into a mirror and do some things to change, to make us look more better. And so it is with your word. Pray, Lord, that your word would transform us, change us, to be more like you. We thank you, Lord God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Matthew, in Matthew chapters 21 to 24, we see the conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees and the teachers of law reaching to epic proportions. So as Jesus' time on this earth comes nearer, the clash with the religious authorities increases. There are 13 incidents of growing conflict and tension between Jesus and the Pharisees from chapter 1 to chapter 24. Here's a good homework for you. And those of you who are wondering, uh, how am I going to get back into rhythm, rhythms of reading his word? Well, here is it. Go home and look at chapter 1 to chapter 24 and pick out these incidents of clash that Jesus had. And on, on what reasons did he clash with the religious authorities? So there are 13 incidents. You can go home and look for it. Let's recap what's been happening. We saw some time back in, in January, we saw that Jesus comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, a young donkey, fulfilling the prophecies. And he goes straight into Jerusalem temple. He didn't go where the, uh, the, the Pharisees were living or, or, or where uh, King Herod, Herod lived. He didn't go there. He went straight to the temple. And in the temple, he begins to drive out all those who were buying and selling the illicit banking system that was taking place. He drove them out. He overturned the money changers. He caused a stir on day one in the temple. That night, he goes to Bethany. He spends the night with his close family, family friends, Lazarus and his two sisters, Martha and Mary. Next day morning, he is coming back into the temple. On the way, he sees a fig tree. There was no figs. Probably he was hungry. He didn't want to disturb his, 
his family with whom he stayed. So he was off early in the morning and he saw this fig tree. He won't have some fruit to eat. There's nothing. So he curses the fig tree and he goes on. End of the day, that tree dies. Why did he do it? What, what was the strange reason that Jesus did it? The tree wasn't bearing any fruit. And we find this theme coming through this morning as well. So next day, Jesus is back in Jerusalem. He's teaching and healing people. Magic. Okay. <laughs> so Jesus is in the temple. He's healing uh, people, teaching. And all of a sudden, he's already caused a stir. And now people are wondering, why is he here back again? And so they questioned Jesus, and they wanted to know by what authority he was doing these things. Who gave him the permission to do these things? And so the tension intensifies. And while this is happening, they question Jesus, and Jesus doesn't answer them. He throws back another question at them. So this goes back and forth. So during this period, he teaches them about parables. And we saw a parable of the two sons. One who disgraced his father publicly and he then repented and he went out to work. The second son, a hypocrite who said, I go, sir. And he never went. And we saw the whole importance of repenting and turning towards God in the story. This morning, we see the second parable, the parable of the tenants. It's not the parable of the talents. That's found somewhere else. It's a parable of the tenants. Or the renters. This is the parable of some wicked people working in the vineyard. So let's look at the story as Fiona will come and read to us of the story. Thanks. On the parable of the tenants. Matthew 21:33 to 46. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied. And he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. And Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. 
Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. I can put him for you. Thanks, Vienna, for reading the passage for us. It's a sad parable. And I think sometime back when uh, in January, when the kids were still staying here, Matt was putting up some video clip, uh, videos of this thing. And then he told me, Sam, if this, we are going to look at this as a graphic video on that. We don't want to show this to the kids. It is a graphic story. It's a sad parable. It was told by Jesus just five days before he was going to be arrested, brutally whipped, killed. Imagine that. Just five days before his death, he's telling the story, this parable. And the funny thing is, he tells the story to the very people who are going to kill him. It's a very moving story. And Jesus, the ultimate storyteller, tells this story in such a way that his audience, the chief priests, the scribes, and the Pharisees and elders, are furious at the end of the story. The first story was about repenting and turning to God. This parable, this story is about obedience and being fruitful. If you forget everything else, take this home. About uh, obedience and bearing fruit in his kingdom. Jesus starts the next one almost immediately. He, uh, he says, listen to another parable. Here Jesus tightens the screws on the religious leaders. At this parable, he exposes the wickedness of the heart. Listen to another parable. He just finished one. And he said, listen to another parable. And he talks about the landowner who planted this vineyard. And look at all that he does. He put a wall around it. He dug a wine press and built a watchtower. And he goes on to say what all he did. He opens his story in a very rich imagery of a vineyard. And as soon as Jesus talked about the vineyard, the scribes and the Pharisees knew very well what was he talking about. Isaiah, in chapter 5, he talks about the vineyard. It was a prophetic thing what Jesus was trying to do. Telling people, look what Isaiah the prophet talked about vineyard. And here Jesus was bringing that into, the, into their minds again, into the memory. So he says, a man planted the vineyard. He puts a fence around it to protect it from thieves and robbers. He dug a wine press. A wine press is a place where you can throw grapes and then someone will stomp on it to squeeze out all the wonderful juice. Have you seen anyone doing it these days? In here in Australia, I'm not sure. No, no, no. I've, probably in Italy, I guess. Overseas, yes. They will get into this big thing and start chomping it down and all the juice would come out. So they still do it today. So this man also built a tower, a place for shelter, a place for security, a place for storage. And then he contrasts, uh, 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 gives this uh, vineyard on a contract to the tenants, to the renters. 
Now, it's common practice that the master will not work in the vineyard. He would hire people to do it. And then the owner, once when all this is done, he would go off in his caravan on a long journey while he was waiting for the harvest. And this usually took three to four years. In another gospel, now, now this parable is mentioned in all three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But Matthew is more uh, intense in his writing. So Mark says he went to another country. So we don't know where he went. Probably went from another country while waiting for the harvest, three to four years. Now verse 34, the harvest is here. He sends his servant to the vineyard. So they would give him the share of the harvest according to the agreement. Instead, the tenants or the renters do something terrible. In verse 35, they beat the first, smash the head of the second, and kill the third. Now, I thought, man, this is graphic. So I looked at it in Greek background. In Greek, it is the same. It's as if... When they, uh, they beat the first with a whip, it says, and they smashed, they grabbed his head and smashed him to the rock. This is, what, this is what it says in Greek, actually. They smashed his head to the rock with the second and killed the third. Verse 36, the landowner sends more servants and the same treatment. Now, in that culture, this was insulting, dishonorable thing to do, a shameful thing to do in that culture. And that's what the renters did. That's exactly what, the, what Israel as a nation did to the prophets in the past as they killed them. So Jesus in this story was reminding them, you guys, this is what you did in the past. Now, according to Jewish rabbinical writings in the records, this is what they say. Prophet Jeremiah was beaten on multiple occasions and thrown into a pit and then stoned. Prophet Elijah and Amos were banished and forced to hide in caves. Ezekiel was murdered after his sermon. <laughs> Habakkuk and Zechariah both were stoned by Jews living in Jerusalem. Zechariah got chased into the temple and stoned near the altar. Isaiah was put in on a log and he was sawn into two. This is the way they treated the prophets in the past. And then, while Jesus was still there, John the Baptist come. And well, they didn't spare him either. These are the very people who did not believe and trust what John the Baptist was saying about calling people to repent and turn back to God. These scribes and religious teachers of the law had their own agenda. And they didn't want to turn back to God. This parable is shocking. To hear how the servants were being treated, beaten, having their head smashed against a rock and some killed in cold blood. Graphic, isn't it? It was meant to shock people. Now, if you read this parable, it doesn't shock us. But if you bring it to our, to, uh, uh, our terms today, look at on this, this thing. We, we, we all heard the story of, uh, of how, yeah, this shocked us, isn't it? We heard what happened here in Queensland, six people including two young police officers, were ambushed and shot and killed. It was a shocking story. It went almost all over the world. All news presses picked this up. It was shocking. We all were shocked. 
And we were sad, we were hurt to see what happened. It was the same effect that was happening in those days as well. It shocked the audience as Jesus was telling this graphic story. So number one, God sends his servants into his vineyard. The landowner is God. The vineyard is, is for us, it's like this world. And the servants are prophets and teachers and pastors and people who come and bring his word. And they were killed. Secondly, after all this happened, what do you think will happen next? Matthew chapter 21, 37 to 39. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. Look at the emotion behind this. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him. Take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Jesus is very specifically using words here as we look into this. Just when they think the story has reached its uh, limit, Jesus says he had one more left. Now, this owner was wealthy. He could have hired mercenaries to come and wipe out the, the renters, throw them out. He could have done that. But rather, he says, I've got my son left. I'm going to send him into the vineyard. And maybe, maybe, look at the word, maybe, when they see him, they will spare him. The vineyard owner who represents God decides to send his son, hoping the tenants will respect him. And the phrase, last of all, starting on the first of that, of, the, of that verse, last of all, is a rich word. Finally, it's full of emotions, full of sadness. Here is a grieved owner, and now he's got his only son. Finally, last of all, maybe they'll respect him. Mark, in his writing, he says, Mark 12, uh, 6, he says, he had, only he had one left to send, a son whom he loved. And he sent him, last of all, saying, they will respect my son. Here we see God's willingness to make him vulnerable by sending his only son. And isn't that the story for us, friends? That Jesus is the only son sent by God for us. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die for us, to die for you and me. And yet, they harden their hearts because of sin. Sin has a way of making people blind, proud, and disrespectful. It hardens their heart. They cannot see God. So last of all, they sent his son uh, that they will respect him. Verse 38. It just shows the ultimate wickedness of the heart. They murdered the landowner's son and took the vineyard by force. But when the renter saw the owner's son, they said to him, this is the heir, let's kill him. Let's take this inheritance and make it ours. They're going to rob the owner of this, uh, of this vineyard. In this story, maybe Jesus was offering them another opportunity by sending them his son. He could have sent a force, a police force, and 
destroyed them and taken control of the vineyard. But he sends them his only son. Maybe he's giving them another opportunity to repent and believe. And that's exactly what God, God does for us, friends. He's given us opportunities of opportunities that we would repent and turn towards God. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us from all our unrighteousness. We can come to Him time and time and time and again knowing that we have fallen short and say, God, here am I in this place. Forgive me. And God does forgive us. He's a merciful God. And this is what he was trying to show here in the story. Now, instead of repenting, they do the very opposite. Look at verse 39. Very interesting usage of words. The son is killed. Where? Outside the vineyard. Not inside the vineyard, but outside the vineyard. They dragged the son outside the vineyard and killed him. And this is what Jesus was trying to say. And that's exactly what they did for Jesus. They dragged him out of Jerusalem city, put him on this hill, and crucified him out of the city. Just shocking. You can hear the self-righteous, legalistic chief priests and scribes and elders buzzing with each other and asking this question, who would do this? Who would kill this only son? Who are these people? So ungrateful and ruthless. Who are these people? These are the same people who are hearing the story. And they were the ones, these were the same people who, who five days later were going to kill the only son. What a story, isn't it? And the penny doesn't drop with them. They're still blinded. God's verdict is given. Matthew chapter 21, 40 and 41. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And this is what the hearers who are hearing Jesus' parable reply. Jesus asks his listeners a rhetorical question. What will the owner of the vineyard do to the tenants? And what an answer. What an answer that the scribes and religious teachers and the temple authorities and the elders of the people The temple authorities themselves give this verdict. A very interesting answer. Wretches to the wretched end. What does it mean? I was intrigued by what they said. Wretches to the wretched end. Now in the Greek, it means evil piled upon evil. Evil in its double fold. As though to say that these were double evildoers. Root of all evil. And in the end, a miserable thing awaits them in the end. And that's what they said. That's what these hearers who are hearing this story, the, the elders, the, 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 the Pharisees and Sadducees say here, wretched of the wretched end. And that's exactly what they're saying. And at this point, you would expect Jesus to say something like this. Indeed, the owner will come and he will take control. He doesn't say that. Well, not exactly. Instead, here's a twist. After what they said, and in fact, they wanted Jesus. They said the owner will come and he'll get rid of all these renters and, and, and give, give them to uh, share, uh, who will give his share of crops in the harvest time. He'll give them to someone else. He'll rent the vineyard to someone else. 
Well, Jesus doesn't say, well, I'm going to do the same thing. Rather, here's a twist. He does something different. In 21, Matthew 21, 42 to 44, Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and the Lord has done this. It's marvelous in your eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people who produce fruit. Anyone who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, and anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Jesus breaks out into the psalm of Psalms 118. He quotes Psalms 118 here. And incidentally, this Psalm 118 is called the Hallel Psalm. It's a psalm that you sing praises to someone. It's the psalm people probably sang as Jesus came into Jerusalem. Hallel, praise. Hallelujah. <laughs> praise Jesus. This is the Psalm 118. It's a psalm of praise. And, and Jesus mentions, he calls this psalm, he brings it to twist it, to tighten the screws more. Verse 42, uh, start of verse 42. It's a sadistic start. Have you never read in the scriptures? Now, who are these people? You who say, who know the scriptures, who excel in the law, how could you miss this? Now, these Pharisees and teachers of the law, you stop them in the middle of their, uh, the laws and you ask them, what is this passage, what is worse? They will recite it and recite it in backwards. They were the experts of the law. And Jesus is saying, telling them, haven't you heard this? How come you guys missed this? As he quotes this psalm, the cornerstone that Jesus is talking about where he says it's the cornerstone, the, the one that the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone. Now these people are rejecting Christ and he is going to become the cornerstone. Cornerstone refers to the construction of the temple under Solomon's rule. The massive stones were cut at the quarry site and brought up to the temple and put in place. They would never quarry the rocks in that temple area as the sound would disturb the, the, the prayers and praises. So they would do it in the quarry area and bring it to the temple. And if the stone doesn't fit, they will throw it down the, uh, uh, throw it down the hill. It will go down to the valley. And when the stones arrive, if they fit, it will be thrown down into the, uh, in the valley. And during the construction, when it became obvious the stone was missing. This stone is supposed to be there. The guys who were out there in the field who chiseled the stone did it specifically for this purpose. And people would run down the valley and bring the stone up and put it in the place. When it obvious that cornerstone was missing, the stone that had been rejected turned out to be the one that would fit in perfectly. Look at verse 43. Taken away and replaced. Given to those who bear fruit Bearing fruit. Friends, it's an important reminder for us today. For all of us to be fruitful in his kingdom. Are we bearing fruit? Jesus told the disciples, how do you recognize them? What do you do to recognize them? Not by the prophetic utterances. Not by the miracles that they do. You shall know them by their fruits. You shall know them by the fruits. That's how we recognize each other. Is by the fruits we bear. Friends, in this kingdom, in God's vineyard, are we bearing fruits for His glory? Important lesson for us. The architects and the builders of this nation were going to reject the Messiah. 
who will then rise from the dead and become the cornerstone, his new house. And what is his new house? It's the church where he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. That is the new house. That is the new vineyard that God is building. He would take it away from those who rejected it and he's going to bring it anew. Then on the day of Pentecost, we find this, friends. When the Holy Spirit came, the church was born. The new kingdom was born. People may reject Jesus. Why? Because he is the key to repentance and judgment. In verse 44, the choice before the religious leaders is a choice before every one of us. We can be broken in humble surrender before God, or we can be completely broken in his judgment. 45 and 46. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parable, they knew that he was talking about them. They looked at the way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because people had held that he was a prophet. After all the story that Jesus said, and this is how they react, they looked for a way to arrest him. They looked for a way to kill Jesus. After all the story that he had said, Instead of repenting, the religious leaders responded with anger and continuing to increase the greater greatness of their sin in rejecting Jesus. And they did reject this prophet, the only son. And in closing, friends, Jesus is the means of repentance and forgiveness for bearing fruit. To fall upon the stone is to have our lives being broken. The brokenness of life comes by repenting and having him as the Lord of our lives. First Peter says in chapter 2, verse 6, for in the scripture it says, See, I lay in Zion a chosen and a precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts him will never, never be put to shame. See, I lay in Zion a stone, a chosen, a precious cornerstone. Friends, if we repent and fall upon Christ as a cornerstone of our lives, our lives may be broken. But if we trust in him and continue to live for him, we become the chosen cornerstone in our lives. Christ will become the Lord of our lives. If we build our lives upon him, we will never be put to shame. Jesus said, I am the cornerstone. Without me, nothing stands. Nothing stands. He is the cornerstone. He is the Messiah. He is the centerpiece. He is the precious and chosen one. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the one who's going to, be, who's going to die and would rise again. He is the Messiah. If you have never given your life to him, Jesus calls upon you to do, to do so right now. Come. Says the Spirit, come to Him. Let's come to Him and give our lives to Him. Let's not harden our hearts, friends, and let's turn to Him, repent and be broken. It's brokenness what God sees. And this morning as we share in communion, let's grab our communion elements. Let's remember God's amazing patience and love. Maybe he's offering you another opportunity to come to him. 
We don't enter God's kingdom either by birth or culture. We're not Christians simply because our parents were Christians. We don't become Christians because from, we went to church from our childhood, from our birth or childhood days. We must personally believe in Jesus ourselves. We either believe in Jesus or we reject Jesus. And if he is the Lord of our lives, friends, if he is the Lord, we need to see the fruits. Are we bearing fruits? And this morning, I urge you, friends, consider it. He's a cornerstone. Is Jesus the stone over which you stumble? Or, he, or is he the foundation of your life? If the cornerstone is removed, if the foundations are removed, nothing can stand on it. Nothing. He is the cornerstone. So let's break up in small groups, wherever we are, person next to you or behind you, into a small group. Pray for one another. And just examine yourself. Is Jesus the stone over which you stumble? Or is he the foundation? And maybe in your group there's a person who says, I don't know Jesus. I'm stumbling. Pray for that person in that group. So let's form a small group. As we consider this, just look at this question, consider this, what God is doing in our lives. Are we a stumbling block? Or are we bearing fruits in His kingdom? Let's pray for one another as we are in this.